You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Ever since my daughter was small, I've been careful about how I speak about my body in front of her. Still, at seven years of age, she asked me if she looked fat in an outfit, and I was horrified. She's got no phone, no social media, and as I mentioned, I'm carefully body positive. So if this could happen when she's, she was seven, she's eight now, but if this could happen when she was seven, what does the future hold? with all the technology, social media, and the influence of her peers. Casey Edwards and Dr. Christopher Scanlon are a husband and wife writing and research team who've just released their book, Raising Girls Who Like Themselves in a World That Tells Them They're Flawed. They have two girls together. Hi, Casey and Christopher. Welcome to Feed, Play, Love. Thank you for having us on. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to be here. And it is still school holidays, or is it where you are? Are the girls um, hidden away somewhere while you chat to us? Yeah, we're calling this screen time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just told my uh, my six-year-old to go and watch television. Oh, perfect. I hope, <laughs> it's a, I hope it's a very engaging series on Netflix so you can just keep it <laughs> Absolutely. Casey, I can't remember caring about my weight when I was seven. How different is the world for our girls today? Look, I... I think that they are facing all the problems we faced, but earlier. Because I just want to start by saying that one of the reasons I wrote this book was because I wanted my girls to grow up liking themselves more than I grew up liking myself. So there's a lot of body image issues within, you know, fully grown women, but our girls, it's starting much, much younger. And we heard stories during our research of four parents told us that their little girls who are in the early years of primary school, four of them, wanted to take scissors and slice the rolls of fat off their belly. Oh, no. And now that just, it just breaks my heart to think that these little girls, you know, their heads should be filled with fairy dust and unicorns, you know, and they have this intolerable hatred of their bodies when they're six and seven years old. Now that is new and that is extremely alarming. And do we know what is making this happen? Like if, you know, this is a new thing, wasn't around as as severely as when we were growing up. Why now? I think there's a couple of things going on. I mean, first of all, I mean, we are in an extremely visual culture. So, you know, constantly our girls are bombarded with unrealistic images of what beauty is. Now, that's a problem that we can't change, right? And what we've done in our book is really focused on the things that we can change. And one of the things that I think we are getting wrong with body image is that we are told that if we tell our girls over and over again that they are beautiful, we will give them body confidence. Now, we have heard one of Australia's leading experts in raising girls tell a room full of parents that they need to tell their girls more that they're beautiful as if that's the solution to this problem. We would suggest it is actually part of the problem. And the reason is twofold. One, nobody can ever be beautiful enough in today's society. It doesn't matter who you are. The standards of beauty are so high that everybody loses in the beauty game. The second issue is that if you tell a girl over and over again that she is beautiful, she will naturally come to believe that it is really important and you tell her enough and she will believe that it is the most important thing about herself 
Now, we did a little stock take in our family and our girls. And before we implemented the changes that we've put in our book, we worked out that our girls had received more comments about their beauty and appearance than everything else combined. Now, you put those two things together and we are absolutely setting our girls up to fail. Chris, um, this is one thing we're talking about, this idea of um, body image and hatred of bodies. What other problems are our girls facing in this time in history? Uh, well, I think there's other, other ones, things like anxiety. So one in 14 girls aged 4 to 17 have experienced an anxiety disorder. And, you know, you could say, well, doctors have just got better at getting onto that recognizing it diagnosing it but one in 14 particularly when we're talking about children who haven't even entered you know their teenage years expressing anxiety um, that's that's a real alarming that's a really alarming statistic there's instances of self-harm so you know girls this is getting a bit into the teenage years 14 to 15 25 percent of them having thoughts about self-harm Eating disorders, you know, this is the third most chronic, uh, common chronic illness for young women. And, you know, we kind of like, when we're talking about eating disorders, we often talk about how, you know, it's just a bit of a, a diet that's gone a, bit, a little bit too far. And I don't think we often realise that it is actually a full-blown mental illness and it needs to be treated as such. So I think they're, they're some of the, you know, the things that our girls are kind of confronting and dealing with. But on the flip side, you know, in many ways, they've got never had, girls have never had a greater opportunity and options around for themselves and open to them. But at the same time, they're sort of tackling all of these other things that should, which, you know, you would hope that, uh, well, you'd hope that they spared them for their whole life, not just, you know, in their teenage and, and younger years. Casey, I feel like, um, well, I grew up in the 80s and 90s as a teenager and a young woman in my in the early 2000s. And I feel like in terms of body image and what I wore, I was the beneficiary of so much great work done by feminists. And maybe this is a question too great for the scope of your book, but how do you think it came to this? I mean, I accept we're a very image conscious culture and social media has had a lot to do with that, but it's the images that are being put on social media that are causing this problem, right? I mean, how do you think we came so far and now we've come so far back when it comes to the feminist movement? Look, when it comes to body image, I I don't think we actually did come very far. Right. I think body body hatred in women has been passed down through the generations. Girls are not born hating their bodies, but they learn that they learn to hate bodies, and they're the people in their lives are their first teachers. You know, their family and friends. And I think you know, I I look back and through our research, we hear a lot of stories about grandparents and and the influence that they have about constantly critiquing weight. Now those grandparents were our parents, right? We had it too. Mm. So I don't think body image has ever been good. I, I think it is happening younger and younger, the, the the severity of the problem. And in a way, we've done a disservice to women by rebranding beauty and into fitspiration and thinking that all those images of, you know, go, go hard or go home are actually healthy. And all we've done is actually shine the spotlight even further onto the importance of our beauty and our bodies. Chris, um, we're sort of talking there about 
the pressure to look good, but even before that pressure, girls seem to have such high expectations of themselves that they should be able to do everything brilliantly. Where does that come from? Well, in some ways, I think it comes from a good place. You know, it comes from there are so many opportunities open to girls now that we don't want them to miss out. And particularly, you know, thinking back through history, even very recent history, girls have been often constrained in what they can do. So we've kind of now kind of embraced this and we've said, oh, yeah, it's great. We're going to open up all these opportunities to girls. But we've often opened up the floodgates. I mean, we, we've got friends who, you know, are fair, they're basically the parents have just turned themselves into Uber drivers, basically. They're just ferrying children <laughs> from one thing to another and they're completely overscheduled. And I think often the message isn't is not just enough to kind of, you know, open you up yourself up to all of these opportunities. It's also you've got to be the best at them. You've got to really excel. And it's almost now we're in this arms race. The measure of being, you know, a good parent is to have an exceptional child. So, you know, just having had a hobby or an interest or playing is no longer enough. They really have to excel at absolutely everything. They've got to do the academic stuff. They've got to do the sporting stuff. They've got to do the community service stuff, all of that. And they've got to do it to, you know, a really, really high level. And I think our kids are getting burned out by that. They're, uh, and they feel a pressure. They feel a pressure to perform. So I think it comes from a good place that we kind of want to open up all these opportunities. But at the same time, we want them to be done to the nth degree. And I think that's mm. part of the problem. And girls kind of imbibe that. They take on that perfectionist kind of, you know, uh, outlook and they want to be the best. They want that. And I, but I think the, the result often is being, is burn, being burned out. Now, um, turning to a more positive uh, approach, I guess, because that's what your book is about. It's about raising girls who like themselves. And you have several characteristics in the book, Chris, that you say will help our girls like themselves. And um, obviously we won't go through all of them, but I was wondering, Chris, if you could talk us through just one that I find quite intriguing. What is a power perspective? Okay, so a power perspective is our name for, uh, what's our term for a whole lot of ideas from, from the psychologists. And one of them is the psychologists talk about this idea of an internal uh, locus of control. And basically that's a long way of saying that you feel control over your own outlook and your own place in the world. So it's really about teaching our daughters to look at the world and her place in it in a way that works for her rather than against her. So she can you know, change how she thinks about the world. She can change her attitude and in doing so, she'll have the internal strength and resources to be able to cope with whatever life throws at you. The opposite of that is an external locus of control, which is basically where you're tossed around by life's events. You know, you don't have any control. You don't feel like you have any control. You just have to do things because you've been told to by another person. And it could be a boyfriend later in life, you know, or um, it could be a partner or it could be kind of an institution. You kind of like, but you don't really feel like you're in control and making your own decisions. You're doing things because other people are telling you that. So it's really about asking girls when they're kind of looking for that validation externally to kind of turn that around and ask them, you know, kind of to really kind of 
try and get them to get them to understand what they think their attitude and their view on the world is important so a simple example is if your daughter comes to you and asks you what do you think about you know the picture they've drawn you know rather than rushing and saying oh it's fabulous turn, turn around and say what what do you think of it and ask them about how they feel about their own work and if they're kind of being a little bit self-critical you can ask them well what would you do different so you're trying to get them to be to think about actions that they can take even into the future so uh, that's that's really a very simple uh, example of that power perspective in action it's trying to get them to think of what do i bring to this how do i turn up and uh, what can i do differently if i didn't like the result Casey, we're often told as parents that we are our children's best role model. You mentioned earlier that part of the reason you you wrote this book was that you wanted your girls to grow up liking themselves, perhaps more than you liked yourself growing up, Casey, and I, I can completely relate to that. The idea of a power perspective for me, I feel like that's almost nirvana. Like I feel like that's something myself as an adult I'm still working towards. How have you found as a woman trying to teach that to your own girls? Well, I can say 100% that you can teach and learn a power perspective. And the way I can say that with such certainty is that I have taught myself. So through the research of this book, I've learned these strategies that I have that I have applied to my own life and I now have a power perspective and I now like myself so much more as a result. So I grew up as your typical good girl with a very external locus of control. I was always looking for other people to tell me that I was good, that my work was good. I was, you know, a 40-year-old woman waiting for my gold star or my elephant stamp. And so through some of the techniques that we explain in the book, I have actually trained myself to care more about what I think than what other people think. Um, and I look at teaching my daughters the, that way of thinking now when they're young as a gift that they can unwrap for, for the, every day for the rest of their life. What a lovely way of looking at it. Um, another thing that I think I was very lucky with growing up that I want for both of my children um, is I feel like my friendships have seen me through to be a strong and um, and happy person. I feel like I've been surrounded by mostly good people most of my life. And I'm not sure that my parents had any influence on that friendship group. I feel like I was just in the right place at the right time. And I look at my daughter now, she's got a lovely group of friends, but again, she's in primary school, yet to hit high school. And that was quite lucky. She ended up with these particularly lovely girlfriends. Chris, do you see friendships as an important part of the picture for our girls and, and how can we help in that regard? I think it's a hugely important thing for girls to, to to learn. And I think this is, again, just like the power perspective is something you can learn. Friendship skills are something that I think we often assume are just going to happen. You know, you just push your kid into the group of other children and they'll work it out. And I don't think we often think about kind of you know that these are learned skills that develop that capacity to go into a group of strangers or you know even amongst the kids that they spend a lot of time with uh, how do they negotiate those friendships so I think you can kind of start instilling and teaching children those skills and if you think about kind of you know the adults in your life um, you know potentially you know extended family and people in the workplace some of those people 
probably didn't learn friendship skills <laughs> or could could do with a refresher on on them. And so I think it's so you know so I think it's a hugely important part of our you know the development of children. So it's something that you can teach them. So one of the things we'll do with with our daughters, for example, is if they don't like the behaviour of another child and they don't like, you know, the conversations they're getting and the interactions they're having is to start to unpack with them why that person might be acting in that way. And partly that's kind of developing empathy, but it also is trying to get them to think about if things aren't going the way they want, if they don't like the way they're being treated, then what they could do differently in those situations and really quite consciously workshopping that. So what what are they going to say if they get, you know, if, if another child says a particular thing that they don't particularly like, what could they say differently? What are they? And so you can workshop that. And when they're very young, it comes down to being very explicit with them. So we, with our daughters at childcare, for example, if they were, you know, as kids do, they, they would sometimes get hit or teased by other children to say, what are you going to say back? And it was things like, stop, I don't like that. And they were actually taught this at childcare too and make it very clear that they didn't like that behaviour and then to deal with it in a productive way rather than slashing out or turning in on themselves and to sort of put some barriers and some boundaries around themselves and, and to protect themselves in a sense, but also give them some resources to manage them. And as they get older, you can you know get into things like talking about how do you deal with more complex friendship um, problems. Casey, um, how have you found this experience with your girls? Like, do you feel more hopeful about the future following writing the book and all the research that you've done? Yeah, I absolutely do. So we started on this journey of the book really in 2009 when our first daughter was born and we felt hopelessly underprepared for such a <laughs> massive responsibility. It was like, who's in charge here? How did they allow us to do something so important? Um, and I, I remember feeling really scared for my daughter's future because I looked at all those statistics and I've looked at what's ahead and it's, and I felt like I didn't know how to protect her. Also through my work, you know, for 10 years I have been writing and fighting for this change and I really knew that the world isn't changing fast enough for my girls. So I had to focus and work out what I could do to arm them now so that they could thrive into the future. And I really feel like what we have in this book, it's evidence-based strategies that we can apply in complex family life because that's another thing that I found with all the parenting books that I read. I ended up on a massive guilt trip because the list of things to do, I could never do it. Mm. And it was like, wow, that's what a good mother looks like and I'm so far from that. Whereas everything that we have put in our book, we've road tested in our own complicated family um, and it's backed by quality evidence. Well, it is a fabulous book. I'm very excited it's out there. Casey and Christopher, thank you so much for your time today. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us on. Thank you so much. That's Casey Edwards and Dr. Christopher Scanlon. They're the co-authors of Raising Girls Who Like Themselves in a World That Tells Them They're Flawed. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch... 
email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.